3: Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard Dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. Are you new
4: to Murray County? We want to welcome you and your family. We are a local residential garbage service, and we want to be your garbage man. We've been around for over 30 years, so we have a reputation. Check us out at GarbageManInc.com or call Mike at 931-540-0919. You could also ask your neighbor. 931-540-0919.
8: This is Clayton
2: Harris, and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia.
9: Let's keep it running, shall we? Brian Hartman filling in for the recovering Tony Basilio. Alongside, I got some plenty of help today. I've got a couple teammates, Matt Dixon and John Adams standing by. Matt and John, it's good to have you on here. We've got a action-packed show planned till one o'clock. Welcome, fellas. Thanks, Brian. Matt, we're it's going to, always always going to be here. We're going to start out with a uh, interview from the Wisconsin basketball play-by-play color commentator Brian Butch, who played at Wisconsin in the early part of the two thousand decade. As a matter of fact, I think he played on an elite eight team. If I'm, if my memory serves, serves me correct, Brian Butch. Never trust someone with two first names, but we're going to trust him in a few minutes. John and Matt, Matt, John, you have something you wanted to, to start here. Start right off. We want to. We want to. Yeah. Tell Tony to please get well, so we can. Yeah, we're get certainly get back all pulling
10: for him. I know it's been a difficult week for him, and uh, he's okay. going to be fine. It's just going to take a take a little time i, I do want to say that uh i thought it'd be a good idea today if uh callers called in when they call in tell things they like about the uh, tony and things they like about the show i think tony would appreciate that i think emotional well-being is a is a real plus when you're trying to recover from a physical ailment uh once before when i was on here and tony was off I, he wasn't sick i think he just took off and went to the Beach and abandon his show and coworkers. Uh but anyway it was this summer and I just, you know, I, I thought we were we we brought up some things that Tony could do better, so to speak, as a person and as a show host. And so I want to review those quickly because you can't fully appreciate the sweet without the bitter. And so we're gonna get into things that people like about Tony, but I just want to remind people of some of the things what shortcomings Tony has. First of all, he tries to do too many things at the same time. Uh, you'll be on the phone with him. He was talking to somebody else. He's at a, a sheet music store talking to somebody, and you just what he's telling you when he does that is you're not that important. I've got to talk to somebody else at the same time. You aren't that important to command my full attention. That's one thing he needs to work on. Also, in and, and I don't want to get too personal with this, but i think he's sometimes too harsh with you brian he called you out last week uh, when i was on on thursday uh i think it's fine to have uh you know to occasionally discipline your your underlings or i think we think of ourselves as co-workers but let's face it tony's in charge here and we kind of work for him so he's got to he's got to sometimes discipline people on his staff and i think but there's a way to do it, not a way to do it. I thought he was overzealous with you, Brian, uh, last week, and I want to apologize for that because I felt uncomfortable hearing to Tony you, And I think he suspended you. seemed like it was about ten or fifteen minutes. Uh, you know, you can call someone, do that off the show, and do it in a civil manner, in which you say, "Hey, Brian. Hey, next time maybe we shouldn't do it this way." That kind of thing. Uh, also. Uh, He can be pretty rough with some of his main callers. Titan's Bill comes to mind. Uh, My wife was listening one day, and she said, he just cut Titan's Bill off. I I couldn't believe it. He just shut him down. Well, that's what he does. And I know Tony thinks that's funny and it's a good show, but I think sometimes he can hurt the feelings of the callers. Uh, Another thing, um, I guess... uh, he, he tries to create heat between one caller and another, and sometimes between Brian or Matt and some of the coworkers with callers. Uh, again, he's doing that for the benefit of the show, but I think it sometimes can spill over outside the show, and, and people are, come away. It creates ill feelings. So that, that's something else. And, and, but there, those are just some of the high points of things Tony could do better. And again, but what we want to emphasize is good things about Tony today, and but uh, with his show as well. And we'll we'll start working on those uh, when we come back. Okay?
9: Yeah. He also is a very hardworking, sometimes to a fault, and eventually he gets snappy, and that can happen, and friction can occur. So we try to overlook most most of it and just forget about it. So I'm good, and I I forgive. Well, that
10: that shows what a big person you are, Brian. But like I said, I understand, but Tony's been doing this a long time. He's a real pro, so I think he needs to rein that in sometimes. That's just my opinion. Maybe you guys don't see it the same way.
9: John, we're going to leave it at that. The number to call in on is 865 We are going to take a quick timeout, and we'll come back with Brian Butch, Wisconsin color guy, Tennessee basketball at Wisconsin tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Eastern. It's a Peacock telecast, so find your streaming apps. Anyway, we'll be back on the other side. Thank you, John. Thank you, Matt. Welcome back to the Thursday, November 9th edition of the Tony Basilio Show. John Adams, Matt Dixon, Brian Hartman along. Filling in for the recovering Tony Basilio, let's go to our hotline, our TLE, TLD Logistics hotline, and get our – Special guest in here from Wisconsin, Brian Butch. Welcome to the program, Brian. I appreciate you guys having me. Brian, Tennessee plays Wisconsin tomorrow night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Wisconsin's kind of been a program I've sort of looked at and admired from afar, and they're one of these teams that always relies on great defense. They don't really, aren't really a team that scores in bunches, and when you see a triple digit by one of their scores you sort of it opens it sort of uh gets your attention the way they put 105 points up on arkansas state well it opened up the eyes for a lot
11: of badger fans as well obviously missed the ncaa tournament last year is one of those things that doesn't happen a lot here in wisconsin and they did so you know coach guard addressed some of that goes out and gets a transfer in aj store from st john's and a lot of people want to, how did Wisconsin get A.J.? Well, A.J. ended up close back to Wisconsin because he's from Chicago, Want to be closer to home, and it's a really good fit. You know, A.J. can get out, do a lot of different things. But I think in general, as you guys see in Tennessee too, right, you want to, you know, score a little bit earlier. You know, anytime you get in conference play, whether it's the SEC or the Big Ten, like, it's harder to score the basketball against set defenses. And I think that's one of those things both these teams are looking to do. Wisconsin's looking to kind of push it in that first wave, Try to get some easy baskets. If not, bring it back out, run your offense, make sure you take care of the basketball and get good shots. Defensively, you know they're going to be locked in, just like Tennessee. I think both these teams play a very similar style as far as, hey, we're going to defend first, and then we're going to worry about the offensive end. And I know it's one of those things that when you look at it, um, it's not always sexy, it's not always fun to watch. People say the national media says it. But when you're a fan of this team, you understand exactly what it takes to be successful. And that's why these programs have grown so much, and that's
9: why they've had success for so long here. When you think of Coach Rick Barnes, you've probably seen Tennessee some from afar recently. What's the first thing that stands out to you besides what you mentioned about his teams?
11: Yeah, you know, I've actually had a chance to play against Rick when I was at Wisconsin. We beat him. And I'm going to throw that in there, just to let everybody okay. know. We did beat their Texas team on a, on a last-second shot of my senior year. But it was a, it was always a team that was disciplined on the defensive end. And you knew at times they had limitations on the offensive end. This year with this Tennessee team, I don't see those limitations. I think the transfer portal helps. You go and get some guys that can go score the basketball and connect and those sorts of things. I think that helps. And Wisconsin did the same thing with A.J. Store. But they're, to the core, they're still going to – be who they are, and they're going to defend first. And I think the reason that both these programs have had so much success is teams don't want to have to work on the offensive end. If you can make them work on the offensive end, there's lapses on the defensive end, and that's when you can kind of get some scores. And I think that's that's the biggest thing that I see with these teams is, you know, Friday night is going to be an absolute slugfest, I think. You know, Wisconsin's a team here, guys, that – not a lot of people in national media are talking about right now. They will. Uh, this team is really good. I've had a chance to cover um, a bunch of teams in the Big Ten Network with Fox Sports, the TV work that I do as well, and I've seen them enough. Like They're really good as far as what they do defensively. They're going to guard offensively. They're going to make sure they take good shots, I think. And that's what Tennessee does. That, that's what their principles are. They fit to what their principles are, and they're really good at that.
9: It kind of makes you wonder with the transfer portal. You've got players like Connect. You mentioned stores. That how how come if they're playing this well, how could they have had to fall down to where the Connect had to go to Northern Colorado? It makes you wonder through the years how many players that never really got a chance that could have played big time basketball but toiled for four years at a smaller school.
11: You, you know, and that's the crazy thing about basketball when you look at it. I always, it's a it's a common saying that we that I have is basketball knows no levels you know if you can play you can play and it's so true and i think that's kind of what we're seeing with the transfer portal now we're also seeing the other side of that right where guys that are projected to be top level guys come in don't have success and they've got to go down a lot. so as much as we talk about the successes that's been the good and bad of it now, i think overall you look at this and it's given our guys opportunities to come on and play at the top level after they've developed a little bit too and i think all that together is good. Um, I think there's some negatives about the transfer portal. I think there's some things that need to be cleaned up in the game to help it a little bit. The transfer portal shouldn't be a pay-for-play situation. That's what it's kind of turned into with NIL. Uh, I think it's. It, I think it should be more about. And this is where kids get lost, guys. Too right. They're worried about NIL. Go. You know, I'm going to go get this this money here, and it's not a good fit. You know, you've seen right away with Connecticut what he's been able to do. It looks so far like it's a really good fit for him. So not only does he go from Northern Colorado, but then he goes to a team in Tennessee that's needed and needs him. And that's where those great relationships happen, and that's where you can have a lot of success. And that's so far, obviously three games into it, two exhibition games in one game, you've seen the success early on there that he's brought to this team.
9: Don, you got a question?
10: yeah, Brian, we're talking about these transfers who I think will based on what you said about store and certainly connected Tennessee, these guys are going to have an impact. But one of the things that strikes me about when you talk similarities with this team when I look at both of them are experience. I mean, Tennessee has guys, Joiah Jordan, James, uh, Santiago Vescovi, who seemingly have been here for centuries. Uh, but you have one of the more experienced teams in the big ten, a lot of guys coming back. As a player you even in the transfer portal when there's so much change how valuable is experience and cohesiveness from working together
11: well I think that's the number one the, the, the thing that I've realized in college basketball I did it as a player and now you know as an analyst side of it like experience wins being old wins it's great to have these young freshmen it's great to have a, you know some success there but you got to have some chemistry you got to have that's what happens on great teams, and I think that's why, when you look at it, um, having the experience that both teams have, that's why these guys are going to be in the conversation, you know, to make deep runs in March. Obviously, there's been recent news that uh, a couple of people in the national media have said Tennessee's your national champion already, which has got to make you guys excited. But the reason they're in those conversations is because they've got that experience, is because they've got guys coming back that understand what it takes to have success in college basketball.
9: I'll
12: throw it to Matt. Yeah, you mentioned the the transfer uh, store. Who are some other uh, players that Tennessee needs to uh, to watch out for? Like who, who can Tennessee expect to kind of be Wisconsin's go-to scorers?
11: Yeah, no, there's a lot of good guys when you look at this. And that's the thing. It's been, you know, Wisconsin against Arkansas State played 10 guys, 12-plus minutes. And it wasn't because it was a blowout. You know, there's a couple fresh. That you know, I've got some minutes in John Blackwell and Nolan Winter, but other than that, it's been guys that have been proven. Chucky Hepburn, point guard position, been really good. Had twenty points against Arkansas State, but he's been a he's always been at the point for Wisconsin. This is his third year. He's lost some weight. Understands how to run the offense a little bit. Understand, hey, I've got to find a way to get others involved. So Chucky's been very good for the team. Connor Stigeni, a little bit of a back injury against Arkansas State. Don't know his availability for the game on Friday. But as a young sophomore now that's come in and really can shoot the ball, space the floor, and anytime you can space the floor, it's a good thing. You've got Tyler Wall, who's back for his feels like his tenth year as well, but a guy that was hurt. The Badgers were eleven and three prior to him getting hurt. He misses three games. They go 0 three in those three games and he was never really healthy that second half. And I think it's a big reason why they make the NCAA tournaments is he just never was back to himself He's back down low, and then Stephen Kroll has done a really good job of improving his body at the post position. I think post play is going to be a big part of this game uh, when you look at both of these groups and both of these teams, how do they handle each other. Uh, Stephen crawl can pull the Tennessee defense away from the basket, which we know how important that is for Tennessee's defense. So I'm, I'm very interested to see that matchup and how that goes and how that plays out and what Tennessee does to kind of change a big that can pull their big out from the basket.
9: You know, you, you played for a coach that was there a long time in Bo Ryan, and he took Wisconsin to a Final Four and really should have won the whole thing that one year. Talk about the transition from Bo Ryan to Greg Gard, and is Greg Gard similar to what Bo Ryan, as far as philosophy goes and everything else?
11: Well, he is. You know, Greg was with Bo all the way at his times at Division Three at Platinum. So um, Greg is, is, has been a, was an assistant under Bo for an extremely long time. Greg recruited me. Um, so as far as what they've done, the principles, um, they're the same. I'll say this, though. Greg has become his own man, and I think that's the, that's the best thing about it. When you replace a legend like Greg did with Bo Ryan, you've got to obviously use some of the things that you learned from Bo, but times are changing, and you've got to adapt to that change a little bit, and that's exactly what Greg's done. And I think that's the exciting part about this program and where it's heading. The principles, the foundation, it's still there, you know, Bo was, you better never turn the ball over. Well, Wisconsin, over the last four or five years, they've been top five in the nation as far as ter- limiting turnovers and, and not turn the ball over. So what they do with the foundation is all right there, and Greg does that. But Greg's done some different things. Everyone talks about the swing offense, and Bo Ryan was famous for that. They're not running nearly as much as the swing. They're finding different ways to tour the basketball because the times have changed a little bit. Defensively, they're playing a little bit of more drop coverage than they ever did. Bo Ryan, you had to get out; you had a hedge screen. Now, not so much. It's evolved a little bit. So, as much as um, you know, everyone says that Greg comes from Bo. Greg's become his own his own man too, a little bit in what they've been doing. I think that's kind of it's been fun to watch um, Greg kind of
9: develop that part. Is Bo Ryan still around the program at games and stuff? Bo.
11: Yeah, Bo's still around a little bit now. He's he's retreated out to California a little bit more, and I don't blame him with this Wisconsin winter's coming up still. So, but but he is around. I know Greg and Bo talk probably once a week still, and and they're you know still having conversations. I talk with Coach uh, probably about once a month still, so he still has an impact uh, on this program. But uh, it's been good, and he, he you know we've always known he was a smart guy, but uh, he's smart now that he's in that California winter versus the Wisconsin winter.
9: John.
10: Yeah. Um... Brian, what what was the fan reaction like uh, last season when Wisconsin uh, did make the NCAA tournament? I mean, this program has had so much success in the past. Was how did the fans handle that?
11: Yeah, not real good. And I think that's that's the sign of a great program. And you know, there was frustration, but a lot of it when when you look at kind of what it is. I touched base a little bit on it. But Tyler Wall was injured. Max Klusman, their other starter, was injured. They missed five games. And they really kind of never found themselves after that. Um, and I think that was kind of the, the toughest thing about it. Um, and I'll say this, like the fan base has never given Greg as much credit as Greg should have gotten just because you come from Bull Ryan and it's a, it's a crazy fan base. And we always, like I, I love him to death, but it, it, we're in a generation of everyone's calling for everyone's jobs and this and that. And you got to remember, Greg Guard's won two Big Ten championships since he's been here. I mean that's unbelievable. Most programs in the Big Ten are trying to get to that level, and Grace Keppen at that level. That's at times you guys know. I mean, I can only imagine Tennessee football fans where they're at. Like it's it's not that bad. I could I could say that it's not that bad. So.
9: Well, you know, I, I'm looking at Wisconsin. They've been to the tournament every year since 1999, except two, and I'm not counting the COVID 2020 season. Yeah. So it's remarkable consistency. And going back before the 90s, they really had. not Hardly ever. It's a program that didn't bad. know much.
11: Yeah, they were they were extremely bad. And uh, I hate saying it as an alumna, but they were really bad. <laughs> and that's what, you know, it started with um, Stu Van Gundy being able to, or Stan, excuse me, and Stu Jackson kind of getting that thing going. And then Dick Bennett found a way to get it going. Uh, and then Bo Ryan took over and Grace continued it. And it's kind of been that growth of, of all those guys putting it together um, to, to get a program to stay at that level. And, you know, that's what people don't realize. People think you can have success and you can find ways to get it done. But keeping that standard for as long as this program has done it, just nationally it's not talked about nearly enough. It's not respected nearly enough. And you guys, I mean, obviously you guys have been through years. I, I was recruited heavily by uh, Buzz Peterson. So I, I, understand, oh. a I right. understand a little Tennessee. I understand a little Tennessee basketball i was recruited extremely heavy by him what was that like what
9: what was buzz like what what stood out to you about him
11: yeah no he was great energetic um actually i it was one of my top eight schools that i had i I really liked the passion he had um it's just for me like i said it came down to my final five were duke or excuse me were north carolina kansas arizona wisconsin and marquette um and i'm a i'm a guy that i wanted to build something at home i'm from wisconsin I wanted to kind of build that. We were ranked number one in the country my my junior year um, at one point. So, you know, it was kind of that. But I love what Buzz was trying to build there. I, the vision was there. Um, I thought, you know, obviously all that plays out and, you know, it doesn't end up the way he wants it to end up there. But uh, I really did like him as a person. I was, you know, so, the vision was there. Now, how you, it followed through is a little bit different.
9: But. Did you come to visit Tennessee? I did not. I did not. It was one of
11: those that was on the, on the, the uh, the radar of trying to make it happen. I had to get down to there. You could take five official visits. So, uh, but Buzz did come up to my house and did all that stuff. I was I was not. I went to North Carolina, Kansas, uh, Arizona, and then the two
9: state schools here. Yeah, that's that's just a that's only a who's who list of the greatest programs in the game. So, <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> I'm going to ask Matt. I'm going to throw it to you for a question. Uh,
12: uh, just. How do you you think this game's going to go, Friday? Who who do you think's going to come out on on top with both both teams kind of a lot of experience? How how much do you think Tennessee's exhibition game at Michigan State, which was a a really good crowd, it felt like a real game besides the substitution patterns, how much do you think that will help Tennessee going on the road again uh, Friday night?
11: Yeah, no, I do. I think it's a big part of what they're doing. Um, when you come into an environment, Big Ten School, whatever it is, and you get a chance to taste it early on in the season, like they did against Michigan State, I think it's a huge benefit to them. Now I'll say this, this is the first time in Wisconsin that they have been able to sell alcohol on campus. So watch out, Tennessee fans. Now there's going to be some rowdy crowd there a little bit, but I say that jokingly. I I think it's going to be a great game, guys. I really do. I think it's one of those things where Wisconsin – isn't getting the credit nationally that they deserve. I understand that. They don't make the NCAA tournament. That's fine. This team is an experienced team. They've played in enough big games. They understand what the stage is. Tennessee understands what the stage is. They've played enough big games. I think you've got two veteran teams that have been through the battles, that understand what it's going to take to win. It's early on in the season. I think that's interesting. We'll see how the, to me, when I look at the keys, it's going to come down to a couple of things. Turnovers, transition baskets, rebounding the basketball. Those three things. Because all those things lead to easy buckets. Because I don't think either team is going to find a way to score the basketball easy. I just don't think that's possible. Tennessee Tech, they played a bunch of zone. Wisconsin's not going to play zone. So that first half stretch when they go on the 20-whatever run against Tennessee Tech that you guys did, I don't expect runs like that. You guys did have that four-minute stretch there where you didn't score the ball early on in that game. I think you're going to see more of that. The question about Tennessee that's out there, can they get rid of those stretches, which they had last year? You had one of them against Tennessee Tech. I, you know, that, if I'm, if I'm Tennessee, that's my biggest concern. We can't get in those big lulls that we got into last year and that we showed against Tennessee Tech, um, early on once. And I know it was one time, but, but that question mark of did we get rid of that still popped its head up a little bit in game one. Do you guys agree with that?
9: Yeah, I can't, I can't believe with old Milwaukee just 80 miles away, you guys just now are selling beer I know. games. What's up with that?
11: Absolutely. We have new chance at the university, and finally they've been pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Finally they've allowed alcohol sales. So this is the first year that the university has done it, and it's still not at Camp Randall. So this is kind of the trial wow. run to see if there will be success at Camp Randall. So, uh, you know, I know – in, in the day and age of, of where we're at with college sports, it shocks me that we're finally getting to this point, but I'm glad. Um, Wisconsin people, they, they know how to drink a couple beers. That's at least the rumor. <laughs> okay, rumor yeah, I,
9: I've heard that such. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to ask one, one last thing here. I wanted to ask about the, uh, the Big Ten as a whole. Purdue came out of there last year as the team that was picked to maybe cut down the nets, and you know what happened to them. Who in the Big Ten this year do you think? would you look at as as being a prohibitive favorite. And well, I still think you see, March.
11: Yeah, no, I still think you have to look at Purdue. I know the one seed loses to the sixteen. I get that the narrative nationally. They still have Zach Eadie back. They really haven't lost anybody. They're freshman guards and you guys know guard play matters. You guys see you saw it with Zeke. I mean it it's you know, like it happens. Um, you know, so overall when you look at where you're at with that, I think Purdue's there. No, Michigan State loses to James Madison, but they're still, you know, they're still right there. I've said this a lot. Maryland's a team that's tricky. They've got guard playing Jameer Young, so how do they play there? What do they do there to kind of make that go a little bit? Uh, I think Wisconsin will be in this conversation, not just because I'm a Wisconsin analyst, but I just think experience is a big play there. Those would be the four. And then there is a huge old question mark around Indiana. What to expect with Indiana? They've got all the talent in the world, but can they put it together? Those would be kind of my top five teams that are just trying to figure out where they're at.
9: Do you like the expansion going west to Oregon and Washington and the recent expansion of Nebraska? It's different the Big Ten than what you played in. It's much different. Do I
11: like it as an analyst? Absolutely. Give me to the West Coast and to a beach in January. I'm all for that. Um, as a as a player and as a coach, I wouldn't like it. Um, I understand that's where we're at, and you got to adjust to it. Times change. Um, I think it's one of those things that um, when we look at this more, probably four or five years down the road, there might be some more change, and this might just be football, and we might pull back a little bit. Basketball probably will be included as well, but you're talking your Olympic sports. You know, make it more regional. I think you have to. I think they're going to look at the checkbooks. They realized like, it was great because we got a big TV deal, but now we're spending so much money traveling cross-country that it just doesn't make sense for our rolling team, our softball teams, um, to be able to do the same thing. There'll be change. Um, this isn't the end. Um, so I think it's just kind of wait and see. I know that's kind of a lame answer. Um, but it, I, I do think it's, hey, we got to capitalize on it, we got to get football first, and then everything else will fall after that.
9: John, you have any final questions?
10: Yeah, I don't know that the produce I mean, that the Wisconsin fans need beer. Uh, I went to a football game there, at Camp Randall, back in the early 70s. And I'm a Southern guy. I grew up in Louisiana, and I didn't know much about anything about the crowd there. That crowd was absolutely wild. Uh, so they might have had a few pops before they went into the stadium, but man, they were rowdy. So I, I can imagine what the atmosphere would be like uh, for the game tomorrow night.
11: It is, yeah, no, no, no question about it. They've had a lot of pops before they walked in. Now they can have pops there. Uh, so it's gonna, it's gonna be an interesting. And eight o'clock start, I think, will help that as well. Uh, when you talk about college basketball in November, I say this a lot, guys. Hey, shame on you! College basketball always delivers. You just gotta pay attention to it. And I know it's not one of those things that a lot of people are paying attention to right now in November, but it's gonna deliver. This game's gonna deliver. It is a great great non-conference game between two teams that I think are going to be able to be able to make deep runs in March. It's exciting. It's fun. This is what college basketball should be about. Both these coaches, their programs, the way they've built it, they've built it for the kids. They've built it on a defensive-minded first. Hey, we're going to defend first and we'll build out from it. You've got programs that have had success. Rick Barnes is one of the best to do it and he's proving that. So this is, this is everything you should want in college basketball Friday night.
9: Where can folks find you, Brian, we, as we visit with Brian Butch, Wisconsin play-by-play color analyst? Yeah,
11: well, uh, I do a, I do a, a statewide radio show in Wisconsin on 973 The Game. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Butch, That's, or, or X as we like to call it or whatever we're calling it nowadays um, there. And I would do some work for Fox Sports and the Big Ten Network calling games throughout the Big Ten and Big East. So, all, all those are the places to find me. I know uh, on Friday you'll be able to catch me on the radio call on the uh, Wisconsin Sports Network
9: as well. So. Brian, have a great call and have a great season. We hope to talk to you later on. You're, you very, we really enjoyed this. So, uh, same here, guys. I'd
11: say good luck, but we can't have good luck on Friday for you. It should be a good one though. We're looking forward to it. Good luck
9: after Friday. I'll say that. All right, sounds good. You okay. two guys, thanks guys. Thank you so much. That's Brian Butch, Wisconsin base, Wisconsin basketball color analyst for the wisconsin badger radio network john matt i thought that was a very very good upbeat segment
10: yeah it definitely was he he knows what he's talking about and he's very knowledgeable about the big 10 as well so i think it's uh kind of makes me even more curious about this game because just in reading about wisconsin this is a really good team and you, you when you look at what it has it I look back and wonder, well, how did how didn't this team uh, make the tournament last year? And he pointed out there was a, a really crucial key injury uh, that certainly affected their chances. Uh, but this is a really good team. It's one of those teams that have so much coming back. It's got size. It's got three point shooters. Wisconsin always plays good D, uh, and now it's added AJ Store from St. John's, six six guy who can shoot from outside too. So. I think it would be a really good challenge for Tennessee, and uh, credit to Tennessee for scheduling this kind of game. These are the kind of games that prepare you for your uh, your conference play and and for even for the postseason.
9: It's interesting they got a transfer out of St. John's that didn't want to play for Rick Pitino, which is you wouldn't expect. <laughs> I should have asked that you is about surprising. that. Yeah, y- you would think, Well. Uh,
10: yeah, a lot of people are drawn to Rick Pitino, so that is surprising. But uh, who knows what is? Uh, but he he did say uh, Brian did say that he was getting coming closer to home, so that might have right. been the yeah. main factor yeah, okay. in it.
9: Uh, that does make sense, John. I've got John and Matt. They have just announced the two permanent opponents for baseball starting in the SEC in 2025 for each team when they add Oklahoma and Texas. And what we can do is we can talk about that and reveal that on the other side. Also at 12, Evan Russell is going to join. He's going to promote the Fall World Series for the baseball program as they're going to play a couple games in Smokies Park and in Chattanooga this weekend as they'll wrap up fall practice. So we've got that to look forward to. And we're definitely going to get into the Missouri series, Missouri football game, talk there as well. The number to call in on is 865-200-5402. We might take a call on the other side. John, Matt, hold right there. We'll be back for the Tony Basilio Show for more of it after this.
13: This is Terry Wilcox, a.k.a. The Chicken Man, a.k.a. T-Willie, and you're listening to 101.7 FM WKOM, Columbia, Tennessee.
12: Hey, gang, Carl Wayne Meekins here. I want you guys to come out and see us live on Veterans Day, 11-11-23, 7 p.m. Guitar and Cadillac Hall that sits right on top of Puckett's in Columbia, Tennessee. We've got a huge lineup for you. We've got Troy Kemp, Katrina Burgoyne, myself and my band, and then the legend Jimmy Wayne's going to come in for a few songs. going to be a big night in Columbia, and Columbia ain't going to be the same. Okay, so get your tickets at eventbrite.com. And Guitar and Cadillac's Carl Wayne Meekins. We'll see you there.
13: I have got my favorite grocer on the line, Mr. Miles Johnson. Miles, how's everybody doing at Foodland today?
15: Oh, we're all doing great. How about yourself?
13: Man, I'm doing fantastic. It's always fun talking to you. What kind of specials are we talking about this week?
15: Well, this week we have two different ads going on. We have the normal Wednesday to Tuesday ad, which includes assorted pork chops, $1.79 a pound, New York strip steaks, $4.99 a pound. Five-pound bag russet potatoes, $1.99 each. Domino sugar, two for seven. And Coca-Cola six-packs, three for 12. We also have a three-day ad that started today and runs through Saturday the 11th, which has the 10-pound box-covered wagon bacon, $17.99 each. Bacon potatoes, 49 cents a pound. And Niagara drinking water, 24-pack, three for 10.
13: Wow, some great deals right there. People need to come in and check them out. As always, you're open seven days a week, 7 a.m. till 9 p.m., located right Right there on West 7th. Well, Miles, thank you as always. It's a pleasure talking to you. You folks uh, over there, fooling, have a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week.
14: All righty. Thank you.
13: Thank you, Miles.
14: This is Big Lou Maddox, and you're listening to the best radio in southern Middle Tennessee. WKOM 101.7 FM, Columbia. Brian Hartman and John Adams, Matt Dixon filling in for Tony
9: Basilio, who is taking a much needed Reprieve to recharge and to recover as the number to call in on is 865-200-5402. Coming up at noon, Evan Russell is going to join us. He's going to talk about the fall classic for the baseball team. They're going to play a couple games at Smoky Park and I think one or two in Chattanooga. It's just come down from Kendall Rogers that the SEC has decided on two permanent opponents for baseball beginning in 2025, not 2024, 2025, when Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC. And the two permanent opponents for Tennessee, and this could have ramifications for football later on in other sports, but the two permanent opponents the Vols will face every year beginning in 2025 are Vanderbilt. And, John, care to guess who the second one is? Uh, it's not really a guess because you told me. Well, okay. Vanderbilt and, and Alabama. The Crimson Tide well, will be on Tennessee's baseball schedule as a permanent opponent along with Vanderbilt.
10: That That's ironic in, the, in baseball. I think it matters more to Tennessee to have Vanderbilt as a a permanent program because of all the successes had. Just the opposite in the uh, in the football of course, with Alabama being the main opponent, main rival, Vanderbilt's just an afterthought. But man, I don't think we could I mean you can't look at that without thinking, well, that could be what it is in football too. No, that
12: that was that was my first thought. And you know, a lot of it there's a lot of the rivalries are kind of intact for this. You know, like Georgia's or Florida and Auburn, which makes a ton of sense. Uh, You know, you know Oklahoma, Texas, and Missouri and A and M are all kind of you know bunched up there. So no, it makes a ton of sense that to make the the this the kind of the two permanent opponents really across the board for all for all sports going forward. Which because that makes so much sense, that almost guarantees the SEC won't do it.
10: (laughs) Well, Well. I wonder about the scheduling. When we start in 2025, you, you almost wish it could start right now uh, for the 224 baseball season. Uh, the SEC really takes its time with figuring out schedules. I think we've learned that from years past.
9: Well, Alabama's going to face Auburn and Tennessee permanent opponent. Those are their two parts. So you're right about the rivalry. That's, what they, that's one thing that I'm sure Alabama fans are sort of happy about. Although, recently tennessee and alabama hadn't been a permanent opponent they've just played on a rotating basis so it's interesting now where you can forget about the east west thing which is going to be it's going to take some getting used to as far as i'm concerned
10: yeah because i mean we've been do- going through this a long time uh, you know over 30 years you've had the sec east and west and uh but I do like what the SEC's done with the schedule for 2024. I know it's just a temporary thing, but uh, I really look forward to seeing some of these uh, these how these this will work out with Oklahoma and Texas uh, in the conference and football. I think it's going to be interesting. It's it could be fun. It will be challenging, and I think the main thing it will affect is uh, some of these middle of the road teams in the SEC. Uh, not so much Tennessee because I think Tennessee's program is on the ascent. It's playing at a, it's going up. It's playing at a high level right now. But you look at Kentucky, South Carolina, teams of that, that nature, I think it's going to be harder for them in this expanded SEC and certainly in football. I guess you could say all sports, too.
9: The SEC sort of did away with divisions when they went to Missouri and A&M and they came in the league. They they kind of wiped out the divisions for scheduling purposes. They put everybody one through 3, one through fourteen. Baseball kept divisions for some reason and used them, I think, just pretty much to schedule only. Whereas you played every team in the East every year and you rotated the three out west. Now they have uh, they're going to go away from divisions. So you can forget about enjoy this last few months of divisions because they won't be around a year from now.
10: Brian, I think what one, one factor that's that's interesting and in it and we'll see it in the sixteen team is conference as well. We look at we look at the SEC and what it's going to be with Oklahoma and Texas coming in and, and we can pretty much uh reel off the names that that we think will be the haves and maybe some will be the have nots. Uh maybe that's a little too harsh of terminology, but they're gonna be some, Certainly some teams with programs with more resources that got more winning tradition, uh, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Texas, teams like that. But I think this year is a good example of how teams can kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, I never saw this with Missouri. Uh, Missouri, its two biggest games, toughest opponents in the SEC have been LSU and Georgia, and I thought it was very competitive. It lost those games but it was very competitive in them. And so that can, I think that can always happen in the SEC. A program you don't think of as being competing for a championship uh, can rise up in a single season. We've seen that with Missouri. I thought Missouri would be just above out, uh, Vanderbilt in the SEC East this year. Others had higher opinion of it, but I just thought that's where it would play out, the way it would play out, but looks like a completely different team from last
0: season.
9: Yeah, and, and you mentioned those two games they lost. They lost by nine to Georgia. They lost by, I guess, a late pick six at LSU, put them a 10-point loss. So don't expect to see 62-24 this year is what you're saying. Uh,
10: yeah. Matt, what's, yeah, what's I- been your impression of, of Missouri this season?
12: No, they've been a lot better. They've taken full advantage of, of the SEC being kind of down, especially with quarterback play. Uh, Brady Cook's been pretty good uh, in their in their offense. Uh, got some really good receivers that they do a great job getting the ball to. Um, I don't I don't even know the the new offensive coordinator's name, but obviously a really good hire. Uh, anything was going to be an upgrade from what what Demlet runs, but no, they've taken full advantage. They kind of have a sneaky good roster like talent wise too like i think their offensive they're pretty good up front along the lines um we saw how they matched georgia you know physicality last weekend which is always impressive um so no i, I think they're they're a really solid team and and you know i i kind of had them bunched with you know florida south Carolina, and kentucky kind of going into the year but i think they're kind of clearly above above those three um and i mean they I mean, I guess Saturday will decide whether they're they're above Tennessee or not this year.
9: Let's go. I was, to, I'm going to bring in Rod and Clark. John, I'll let John finish.
10: No, I was just saying the, the takeaway, the most surprising stat in that Georgia-Missouri game to me was Cody. <coughs> excuse me, Cody Srader rushing for 112 yards against Georgia's defense. That to me was very significant, and it's. Speaks to what Matt was talking about. Missouri is pretty good in the offensive and defensive line. The offensive line did a, a nice job of running, of run blocking against Georgia. Co- Cody Strader's—I mean, he could win the SEC rushing title. Uh, a former uh, transfer from Truman State College, who
16: could have seen that coming?
9: Let's go to Rod in Clarksville. Rod, welcome back.
16: Thank you, guys. Thank you, uh, Sean not Sean, but Matt and Bri, and of course, John Adams. I just want to thank y'all for stepping in for Tony today. And uh, as far as being, as far as being the, uh, the uh, extended family of the Tony Basilio Show, I just want to give a shout out to Tony and let him know our thoughts and prayers are with him. And we hope that he gets, feels better. And I hope Laura is, you know, feeding him some chicken noodle soup and some Jello, and I hope he's having a great time listening. <laughs> Sounds- I just wanted to let him know that we love him.
9: Now I'm hungry thinking about
16: chicken noodle soup. <laughs> Yes, sir. Uh, I want to give a shout-out also to WLN and some of our callers, you know, Sean and, you know, uh, Knoxville Mike and some others that, even Peggy, you know, and Joshy Boy that are always listening and always, you know, give – kudos to, to tony while he's on the air i appreciate that also but john i wanted to ask you john um as far as you know what you was just saying about schrader i believe our defense is one of the top tier defense as far as we're only allowing 97 yards a game for the rusher that we our opponents rusher uh how do you think we're going to end up you know playing this game well yeah
10: it's uh Tennessee ranks, I think, higher than Georgia in run defense, and that's kind of a drop-off for Georgia. It's still a solid defense overall, but uh, if Cody Schrader I don't think he can rush for 100 yards against Tennessee. However, I think when you look at Missouri, what strikes me most about Missouri, there's not just one thing you have to shut down with the Tigers. You you look Brady Cook, uh, He's a become an accurate passer. He's pretty good on the deep ball. And, and Matt and I were talking about it uh, on a break. Uh, they really rely on a lot on these uh, getting at a receivers one on one against DBs and letting their receivers make a play. Luther Burden is the best example of that. He's their top receiver, real game breaker, great playmaker. Uh, they, they throw Cook throws a lot of these back shoulder balls and. That that really puts a burden on defensive backs. I mean, they gotta cover all the way to the point of the football uh to defend that and they've gotta be really aware of it. And and Brady Cook is not doesn't hesitate throwing into tight coverage when he's got one on one. so that's one thing. And also Brady Cook's running, he's uh he has a real good instinct of when and where to run. He's not it's not like it's He's not Jalen Milrow. He's not going to outrun everybody on the field. He's not going to run over linebackers. But he definitely can make plays. He showed that even last season when nobody thought he was as good a quarterback as he's become. So you look at the total, the total picture. Those are three guys. Uh, Tennessee hasn't. I can't right off the top of my head. I don't think Tennessee's faced a formidable as, as formidable a trio as this on offense with Schrader, uh, one of the top running backs in the league, Luther Burden, one of the uh, real playmakers at wide receiver, and then Brady Cook. who said Brady Cook's going to throw for 3,000 yards this year, and he's probably going to run for uh, four or 500 yards too. So I think this is probably the biggest challenge uh, Tennessee's defense might have uh, faced today. Uh, A&M wasn't as good at offensively as Missouri. South Carolina had Spencer Rattler, but didn't have much else. Uh, Florida played well when Tennessee played them, but overall I like Missouri's offensive personnel better. So I think it's going to be a real challenge. I think the defense for Tennessee uh, is going to have to play its best game of the year
16: for Tennessee to win this. Don, I really think that Tennessee is going to play their best game of the year, and I believe they're going to go up here and blow them out. They're gonna run them out of their building. Blow them out, and it's gonna be the biggest. It's gonna be the biggest win of the season. Watch what I tell you. I'll, I love y'all. Go balls.
9: You know, I'll, I'll piggyback on that. Blow them out. I think Heupel has proven, and Tennessee has just been a tough matchup for Eli Dimwit so far in the three games he's faced him, especially Josh Heupel, where he's given up over sixty points. I think knowing that for the balls, I think that should. At least play into some confidence for Tennessee Saturday, knowing that they can score against this team, and knowing that they've done it in the past. Whether it helps them score and win Saturday, I don't know. But at least they should be confident about their ability to score.
10: Yeah, they may be confident, but this is not this team is not to be confused with the last two Missouri uh, defenses on, uh, teams. Uh, the defense is pretty good. The offense is pretty good. It's not flagrantly inept in any one area, I don't think, and that matters. I know LSU put up pretty really put up some numbers statistically against Missouri and scored 49 points, but LSU can do that on a lot of teams with Jaden Daniels at quarterback. So I think that might be over, overly optimistic, expect, expecting a blowout. I think Tennessee can just win the game. Uh, that would be a big win, Tennessee's best win of the year. Uh, so, I mean, uh, and I'm not saying it couldn't happen that Tennessee could win handily if it played its very best game. But I think just winning the game would be significant. Uh, one other thing about that I've noticed this year with Missouri, its home field home field advantage is not what it used to be, and that's a good sign. It's better. The crowd is more engaged in Missouri games now than it was in re- past years. Uh, and I don't know exactly why. It's not just because it's a, a better team, I don't think, because I, uh, I saw it against Kansas State in its first big game this season in September, and the crowd was so into the game, I, I mean, I thought I was watching a different stadium. So I think you'll have a very involved, loud crowd. And Tennessee's not used to that at Faroe Field. It just hadn't been that way in the past. So all those things together, I think this will be a tough challenge for Tennessee. Really tough.
9: I think
12: think it's that that cringy and and instructional hype video they put out right before the season. (laughs) Yeah. We should play that on air, Brian. It's like two minutes long. It's very, very cringy.
9: I'll look for that. Anyway, uh, I'm going to take a timeout here at the top of the hour. We're going to get Evan Russell in. He's going to preview what we've got coming up for the baseball team this weekend. And we'll do that on the other side. It's
14: straight up high noon on the Tony Basilio Show, a Thursday edition. We'll be back after this timeout. This is Big Lou Maddox, and you're listening to the best radio in southern middle Tennessee, WKOM 101.7 FM, Columbia.
2: American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall
3: that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090.
4: Hi, this is Steve, the garbage man. Y'all have heard me talk in the past about Packer, our mascot dog. Well, I have some sad news about Packer. She recently crossed over the Rainbow Bridge to join our other beloved pets of the past. Packer lived out her final days on our farm in Water Valley. She had a great 14 years of life after being rescued by Don from being thrown away as a pup in someone's garbage. Rest in peace, Packer.
18: Hey Columbia, this is Sabian Beard with the Columbia Noon Rotary Club with some information and an invitation for you. If you don't already know about Rotary, it's an organization over 100 years old that focuses on service in the community, service through vocation, and service to the next generation. Many of our community figureheads participate in the local Rotary Clubs, and we need your help. Our main fundraiser for our service projects is the legendary Pancake Day, held on Saturday, November 11th from 6 to 4. Tickets are $10 for one or $25 for three, and may be purchased at the door or from any Noon Rotary member. Help us continue to serve your community and enjoy a splendid breakfast with your neighbors. See you there.
10: This is Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools and the Big Yellow School Bus. You're listening to Front Porch Radio on 101.7
8: WKOM in Columbia, Tennessee.
9: We are just after 12 o'clock on the Thursday, November 9th edition of Tony Basilio Show. Tony is recovering from a weekend that saw him do a lot of charitable work and post games and all that. So we want to wish him the best and hopefully he'll be back soon in the fold. I have John Adams, Brian Hartman alongside with John Adams, and Matt Dixon. In the first hour, we visited with former Wisconsin player and current basketball color analyst Brian Butch for the radio network to preview the Tennessee-Wisconsin game. And we are about to jump on with Evan Russell, former Tennessee left fielder and catcher. He is going to talk about the spring not spring, but fall baseball world classic. A world series, I guess, is whatever they call it. I've called it several different things and, and not sure what officially they do call it. But, Evan, first of all, I wanted to get your take. The SEC has announced.
12: In honor It's, yeah,
9: it's announced it's permanent. It's two permanent opponents for baseball when the Texas and Oklahoma join the league in 2025. Tennessee's two permanent every year opponents will be Vanderbilt and Alabama. Your thoughts on that, and who? Do, if there's somebody else, did, was there somebody else you may have wanted to see on there?
19: You know, I, I thought there was a missed opportunity to have an Arkansas in there as well uh, with a Vanderbilt. But if you just look at the list, I mean, it's an absolute gauntlet. Um, you know, the the competition in the SEC it's only getting better. Um, the, these teams are going to basically be minor league teams for pro teams and pro scouts. Uh, to come and look at. So it, it is It is an unreal time to be a baseball player in the SEC, especially in 2025.
9: Yeah, the I think they did a lot of geographic, and they wanted to keep as many rivals as they could and do it for geography's sake. So I think with Alabama, who they hadn't been playing every year, it's kind of a rotating basis there that they decided to give the balls. They give Alabama, Auburn, and Tennessee, and Hopefully that bodes well for other sports as well. But I wanted to bring you on here. Tennessee plays in their annual, I guess the baseball team will scrimmage and split up and play a couple games at Smokies Park and also in Chattanooga. Now, how many total games will there be in each park?
19: So there's going to be three games, and it's going to be a, basically a scrimmage setup. But um, every year Coach Patello and the staff, they put on um, a, a fall World Series is what they call it. And two teams basically go out and they compete and and, and they try to win the starting spot. So you're going to see guys come out, uh, especially transfers and new guys, come out and compete and fight and claw to, to earn that starting spot for opening day in, in the spring. So uh, it'll be great competition. It'll be a fun time. Uh, the first game is going to be at Smoky Stadium tonight at 6 o'clock. And then the next two games are going to be in Chattanooga with the lookout. So... Uh, we're super excited to be able to try to get something going uh, give the the community a way to come and, and watch these guys compete but also just see see the guys and, and how they react uh, by playing in front of a nice crowd so it'll be a great opportunity
9: so tonight the gates open and will there be an autograph session what's the what's the ticket price
19: yeah so the the ticket prices are seven dollars and the the gate will open at five o'clock There will be plenty of activities going on. There will be some silent auctions as well on the side. Uh, Just be on the the listening for um, in-between innings, and and you should have all the information that you need. Um, But it it should be a great event. Tensey Smokies does a a fantastic job um, of getting everything going, and uh, I I would highly encourage people just to come out and be a part of something that, that should be a fun time.
9: And in Chattanooga... On Saturday, is it Saturday and Sunday, you say? It will be Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday. What times and when do the gates open, and what's the admission for down there, for our folks living down there?
19: Yeah, so it will be an $8 ticket. Uh, Friday night will be a 6 o'clock game with um, the the gates opening at at 5 o'clock, and then Saturday will be a 12 o'clock game, uh, gates opening at 11. So there will also be selling auctions as, as well. Um, so it's it just a way for Coach Patello to try to get uh, across all the state and, and give plenty of people an opportunity to come out and, and see these guys play.
9: Now, they did try to schedule Saturday around the football game at three thirty. Yes,
19: Yes, that, that is correct. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to come out watch some good baseball, but then quickly pivot and go watch a uh, good old beatdown with uh, the with, uh, Tennessee football team.
9: Matt, you got a question?
12: Just, Evan, I, I don't know how much you've got to watch them practice or know about the roster, but who, who are maybe two or three guys that, that fans don't know yet to maybe watch out for either you know this weekend and, and going into next year that, that could, that could uh, have impact on the season?
19: Yeah, I think you've got to really watch that catching spot. Um, I, I think you have so much competition uh, when it comes to offensively and defensively. I think that, um, you know, the shortstop spot is going to be an extremely competitive spot. If Christian Moore can come out and showcase that he can play that, uh, that, that quickly changes the dynamics of this team. Um, and also if we can add some production offensively to that catching spot, uh, it, it'll be, it'll be fantastic. Um, I, I think that if you look at AJ Russell, um, I think that he is going to be, sort of the, uh, the 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 big, my pick for the season, I, I think that uh, Drew Beam obviously is going to be the Friday guy, but if you come out and have a Saturday guy and, and A.J. Russell that can do what he did last year and showcase that talent, um, I, I think that they will be set up to, to make another deep run like they did.
9: John, I'm going to throw it to you.
10: Yeah, I did, Evan, I did a column... Uh... Last week about Tony Vitello and, and all his postseason baseball uh, spectating, he was uh, went to the Phillies games, the Rangers. You've been around Tony for a while now. Uh, are you surprised at all the people he knows in this in this sport just all over the place? You know, I'm not too surprised with
19: anything when it comes to him. He's he, he's far outseated. Uh, my expectations uh, every time that I have a conversation with him. He, he's, uh, he, he's he's very interesting, and um, I, I think that just shows uh, how good he was at recruiting when he came from TCU, Arkansas. He, he built connections. Uh, he was able to do it the right way um, and, and treat people fairly, and it's led to him being able to have connections, especially throughout the entire state of Tennessee, to where he is able to, uh, have events and, and get to play in some really nice stadiums so um he, he's done a great job of not only recruiting players but also just just being a an idol and uh, the the spokesperson for a, a tennessee baseball program
12: matt uh i i don't have to eat much else uh forever um Yeah, I don't have have anything else, Brian. I'm sorry.
9: Well, I
10: can follow up on that, Brian, on that last question. And I think you pointed out, uh, Evan, when you see how well he's recruited, it really is about building relationships. And I know that's probably harder to do now because you have the transfer portal. But his people skills have certainly served him well in recruiting and in just managing a program and promoting
19: the program. Yeah, he's super transparent. That, that's the one thing that um, I always respected out of him, especially whenever I was first on the on the team and in the program. He was transparent on what he was doing with me, um, where my role was with the team. He actually encouraged people to come have tough conversations with him, uh, almost treating it like a business, letting them know, hey, this is your production. Here's where um, if you raise your production in these areas, you have a high chance of contributing and, and making your starting spot. So super transparent with what he's trying to do, how he's trying to help. Uh, but at the end of the day, he, he's always on the lookout for his program and his players. Uh, me and him have a, a great relationship, but um, he, he, would, he would do anything for his players, even if that meant um, you know, being rude or doing something. Uh, just finding ways of protecting his guys. So uh, he has a, a ton of loyalty, which kind of uh, leads to why I, I, changed, or I started the collective and named it Loyalty. Uh, basically, it comes from Tony Vacello and, and how he has run the program and, and how he's created that culture. So um, just everything falling from him. Uh, the coaching staff is super respectable, and, and they have carried over the culture as well and, and helped establish it. Um, but but Batello has definitely been the guy that uh, has created everything and been super transparent, and it's led to him creating these, these great relationships that he's benefiting from today.
9: Talk about what you're doing with the collective and how that's coming to pass.
19: Yeah, so I, I had a, a great experience with NIL my last, my last year. Um, it, it was a way for me to um, cover some expenses financially when it comes to tuition um, and, and being able to... Uh, set myself up in the business world and off to a good start. So able to grow connections as well for uh, my time after I was done playing baseball. And, and that's definitely something I, I just want to continue and, and offer to these guys and help them out in any way. Um, I, I still have plenty of teammates that still play on the team, so i um, trying to help them out and, and having that connection and giving them an opportunity because – uh, the stats show that you, you play about five or six years in professional baseball um, some people get get lucky enough to, to play longer than that but uh, there's plenty of times after uh, a playing career so this NIO this collective is going to be a way to get them out in the community uh, try to put some some money in their pockets for their efforts and for um, for their their experience with the baseball team so um, finding ways to, uh, to benefit them in any way, but also benefit the community and, and to let them allow to watch some good baseball is what this is all about. So um, I, I'm, I'm super honored. To, I've gotten this going with along with Craig Jenkins and a, a couple other guys that have helped push this along the way, but I think it's headed in the right direction.
9: And finally, one more thing. Tell everyone where you're at and what you're doing and, and how you can help them.
19: Yeah, so I mean, in my, in my day job, uh, if you want to call it that, I, I work with Raymond James, financial advising. I, I'm a part of a great team. Uh, I've joined a team that's full of much more experienced and, and intelligent people than me, but, um, I've thrown myself in a fire of learning from, learning from those people. So it, it's been a great experience. I'm in Chattanooga with Raymond James. Um, so hopefully, um, I, I get to learn as much as I can and, Translate it as much as I can to um, the NIL and show some some uh, advice and and help people along the way, uh, even if you're not a college baseball player on Tennessee's baseball team.
9: So, one more time, the schedule for this weekend with the Fall World Series.
19: Yeah, so tonight will be at six o'clock and at the Smoky Stadium. The gates will open at five o'clock. I encourage anyone to come out um, in the Chattanooga area tomorrow and Saturday. So Friday's game will be at 6. The gates will open at 5. Saturday's game will be at 12. The gates will open at 11. So please just come out, have a good time, uh, eat a hot dog or two, and uh, and then go watch the the Tennessee balls beat up on some Missouri Tigers. So we um, look forward to seeing everyone out.
9: Sounds good, Evan. Thank you so much. Enjoy the weekend. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. As we visit with former Tennessee left fielder and catcher Evan Russell on the Tony Basilio Show, we're about a third of the way through the second hour. going to go to one today, 865 200 865 is the number to call in on. No more guests for the rest of the way, so it's wall-to-wall you all. John and, and Matt, you brought a point during the break about one key to the game against Missouri is something that we haven't touched on yet that you wanted to touch on, and I'll let you guys bring it up.
10: Well, yeah, Matt and I were talking off air, and Matt brought it up. Missouri blitzes a lot, uh, really creative uh, with its blitzes, and uh, I think that will present a challenge uh, for Joe Milton and Tennessee's offense, right, Matt?
12: Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely something that that you need your, your quarterback to to make quick decisions and, and kinda know know what's what to expect pre snap, which Missouri does a good job of, of disguising it. Um and, and bringing, you know, five, six, sometimes seven guys and you know, they have they have corners that can match up with, with players one on one. So it's definitely on third you know, gotta avoid, you know, third downs and, and kinda obvious passing downs. That's that's when they really dial it up, but no, they, they blitz. I think it's more than any team in the sec and, and one of the most, uh, across the country, which, which does lead to giving up some big plays, which hopefully Tennessee can hit a couple of, um, like they have here recently. So that, that'll be one thing to watch for is is how often those blitzes get home or or whether Tennessee is, has a game plan to, to attack those.
10: Well, uh, one of their linebackers, Tyron Hopper, I've, I've been impressed with him. He's, this is his second year there. He was at Florida, and he transferred to Missouri. That was a big loss for Florida. He's one of the SEC's better linebackers, a lot of good linebackers in this league, but his play is impressive. He's he's a playmaker, That and watch watch out for him on, on those blitzes. He's a prominent fixture in the in the blitz package.
9: Well, Missouri has had a tradition of, of blitzing and blitzing putting good linebackers in, in the NFL, and also some defensive linemen as well. It's it's sort of a – it's almost like a linebacker you in a way. Their offense gets a lot of the credit, but that defense is what sort of made – that's why they were so good when they first got in the league.
10: Yeah, you're right. They were. And, and they've had some – they haven't – even when they haven't had uh, great defenses – there have been a couple of players and, and sometimes uh, linebackers who were big-time players, and, and you see them in the NFL still. Who's the uh, – who's that uh, – I'm trying to think. I think does it uh, – with the Chiefs, is it, uh, is it Ricky Bolton, if I got that name right? I think Nick Bol- Bolton that Nick- played oh, for him.
12: Yeah, Kansas okay. Yeah. The, yeah. It, the guy that laid out John Jennings at the goal line up there. He, well, he was uh, – I mean, he put up big numbers.
10: He he made a lot of plays. One of the leading tacklers in the conference. But you're right. It's interesting how they have turned out a number of good linebackers. Uh, I would be curious to see how much Missouri can build on this season. Let's assume they finish out. Let's say they finish 9-3 and three would be a great year for Missouri. Uh, how they build on that, because it's been a turnaround season. How Missouri's not recruiting great right now. And uh, it, it might, it maybe won't matter as much if they can get key transfers, but I just think that will be interesting to see if Missouri, if this is an aberration and Missouri kind of falls back to what it has been in the recent past, or if it can hang in there and become a nine-win nine type program.
9: Tennessee's unveiled their uniform of choice on Saturday, they're going to wear the white tops with the orange pants. I think for the first time they've worn that combo this year. So I think they wore that a few years ago when they went up there and, and beat them. And I think prove it's one year that he went there. And I think that's what they wore. Matt, your thoughts? <clears throat> uh, I mean, I, I, I like the orange pants
12: or, or orange britches, I guess we should say. But it, you know, I'd, I'd wear whatever, just go win.
9: Nah, that sounds good to me, John. I'm not a big Remember that, that game. Pruitt
12: game. That Pruitt game was the one where uh, Garrett on through for over 400 yards. We had the three 100 yard receivers, and we still only scored 24 <laughs> See, points. That was really impressive.
9: Cap 24 <laughs> points, pretty impressive.
10: They moved them that the ball between It's amazing points. when you think about it. The yeah. statistics from that game. And then you compare that to what Heupel's done with 62 and 66-point games
9: back-to-back. That's a quarter for Heupel. Well, yeah, points. what a
10: difference the coach makes,
9: huh? Yeah. Good times. You know, I, I was listening to somebody on Twitter had the call. They put the call up there from ball calls where Philip and Wartburg called in and asked Paul Pruitt that when when do you when do you think you're going to realize you're not a real coach and need to go back to Alabama? and I just remember listening to Pruitt talk then it didn't stand out when he was when you heard it daily but after hearing hypopel for the last two or three years and then going back and listening to that I'm thinking man that's like night and day difference between a coach how a head coach comes across speaking wise
10: well the thing about the thing about Heupel, he doesn't he doesn't uh, give out a lot of information uh, but he seems like a football coach. And he, you know, he, he's not he's not giving you colorful quotes. He doesn't have the slogans, the catchphrases that Butch Jones had. He doesn't have the abysmal English skills that uh, Pruitt had. But he just seems like a football coach. Uh, you know, it kind of... Because I was back in that when I started out my sports writing career, I was in South Texas for a few years. And those guys, those high school coaches, I mean, you just when you you met them, they just you knew they were a football coach. They almost didn't have to tell you. They just they just knew the game so well. You just listened to them a little bit. And and Heupel's one of those guys at the college level. He just comes across as a guy who really knows the game and really knows offense and that really, that really is a change from what Tennessee has had in the past. Uh, and one thing I noticed, I get emails all the time, once you achieve some success like Keipel did last year, there's going to be fans are going to expect more of the same, and they're going to expect you to get even better. And that's reasonable. Uh, he's paid a lot of money now. But I, I think fans, some, I get two kinds of emails. Some are critical of things. Uh, hypo might do in games, uh, play calls, that sort of thing. Uh, and then I get others who don't like hearing that criticism of hypo, but I think those fans need to understand that just because fans are critical of things that hypo might do from one game to the next, a play call, uh, a personnel move, uh, that doesn't mean they want a new coach. There's a big difference, uh, because in the past when Tennessee was, uh, Tennessee fans were uh, criticizing coaches. It was kind of a, oh, my gosh, this isn't going to work kind of criticism. It wasn't over just specific things. It was of the overall program. And I think most fans feel really fortunate to have Josh Heupel as a coach because – go ahead.
9: Yeah, you don't hear much criticism when you win at the clip he's won at.
10: Yeah, I mean, but I think if you win – Tennessee won 11 games last year. If it if it wins 10 this year, it would be a good season, counting a bowl game. But that doesn't uh, that doesn't mean fans will be happy with it. Fans are always just the nature of being a fan. You you expect more success after you've had some success. But Tennessee could win, uh, still could win 10 games, have back to back seasons, total season of 21 of uh, 21 wins. It's been a really long time since that happened.
9: Yeah, I, I think it's been once in his three years where he's had back-to-back losses. So, and that was sort of his first year, where you had Ole Miss, and you you actually that that really if a couple of officiating calls go another way, that could have been different. But well, yeah, I think uh, it, it, what's interesting about this season. I,
10: Fans would, sure, would not, the Florida law certainly bothered fans. And uh, But when you look at where Tennessee stands, it's kind of odd that it still has a mathematical shot in the SEC East. Uh, we haven't talked about the Ole Miss-Georgia game, but if Ole Miss wins that game and then Tennessee would beat Georgia, that is, uh, Tennessee has that possibility. Uh, and I don't think that will happen. Man, I don't think you do either because we were talking about it uh, off air. But it just shows that the season has still got in the big picture. For Tennessee in November to be in the running for a division championship is is still significant, don't you think? And
9: I think Tennessee is the only other team besides Georgia who can still win the East. I think Missouri is mathematically eliminated now due to the tiebreaker, due to their loss to Georgia. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. And everybody else below them, of course, is out of it. But Matt, go ahead.
12: No, I, I do think it it is a big deal. I mean, you could, in theory, you know, leave Columbia uh, after your tenth game and, and 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 still have a chance to play for the East the next week when you host Georgia. So I, you know, if going into the season, if you had told every Tennessee fan, hey, if you win at Missouri, there's a pretty dec- there's a there's a chance that you're hosting Georgia for the East. I think we all would have taken that, um, certainly at, at this spot. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the Florida game is, is what it is, but I, I. Th- th- this is kind of a nine and three, 10 and two type team. So, you know, we, this team wasn't going to make the playoffs this year. Um, so you didn't, you, you at least you, you didn't take a, the step back that would have caused alarm for your program. Um, Going forward, like big picture wise, you at least kind of maintained and and you beaten um, some of the teams that you're kind of bunched up with with you know South Carolina, Kentucky, you're below Tennessee, but you were able to beat a And M. Uh, so it's I, I think all that's significant, and that's I, that's why Saturday is a pretty big game too. Matt, right uh,
10: thought, go ahead, John. What do you think Ole Miss would have to do to to beat Georgia? I think it's a long shot. It's a double digit underdog, but. But when you look at that game, what 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 would Ole Miss need to do?
12: They'd they'd need Georgia to turn it over, you know, three or four times, um, settle for some field goals. Uh, I mean, I just I just don't know how much Ole Miss can stop Georgia offensively because I mean maybe Georgia kind of plays around with their food like they they they've done a few times and. And they maybe they they shorten the game by running it to you know maybe not necessarily blow a team out but are never in doubt of losing um, I did, it would take Jackson Dart having just an amazing game and then Georgia just kind of not being crisp not being sharp which I still think that's coming and I mean maybe maybe the Missouri game was that for them I mean, even though I don't think they played terribly but I mean this is kind of a, a four game stretch for Georgia where they're getting a, another team's kind of best shot, and at least the last three in, in Missouri, Ole Miss, and Tennessee are pretty formidable opponents that can present some challenges. So I just they're due for a letdown spot, but again, Lane Kiffin just doesn't win games like this, especially on the road. If it was, if it was in Oxford, maybe they'd have a chance, but I just it's just hard to see Lane Kiffin and, and Ole Miss, you know, winning in Athens.
10: One of the things that's uh, impressed me about Georgia, because overall this Georgia team isn't as good as the last two that won national championships. It doesn't have the as many dominant players on defense. Uh, Brock Bowers, is a super tight end, All-American. He's been hurt. He's been out. So if not for Carson Beck, I think Georgia might have already lost a game. Going into the season, I thought Carson Beck would be an effective passer. I wondered about how he would handle all the pressure that that comes with leading a team that's trying to win three consecutive national titles and following Stetson Bennett, who was a a superstar as far as Georgia's offense went, who always was at its best in the biggest games. Uh, One was offensive MVP of all four playoff games he played in. So I wasn't sure about Carson Beck, but he's really come through for Georgia. He, for a guy that's a first-time starter, uh, who's just been sitting on the bench behind Stetson Bennett, he's really showed me a lot is, in terms of his poise and maybe the intangibles.
12: Yeah, I think hit, you know the quarterback play was going to be what where, where they took a step back or where everybody was hoping would would ha- would be where they would you know not be you know go undefeated and be in the playoffs again, which. It's an incredible thing that they're in this spot, um, but no, he's been he's been really good. You got to give them credit, and that's really without a ton of. I mean, besides Bowers, I mean they don't have a ton of great receiver. I mean, the Lad McConkie's pretty good, probably a lot better than than we think. But I mean, it's not like they have. He has a bunch of NFL guys that he's that he's working with. Um, I mean, Missouri's got better receivers than Georgia,
9: and georgia has got a transfer from Missouri. Guys, okay. I wanted to take our final timeout. We'll come back for one more segment. 865-200-5402 is the
14: number to call in, and we'll pick up on this discussion on the other side. So hang right there. This is Big Lou Maddox, and you're listening to the best radio in southern middle Tennessee, WKOM 101.7 FM, Columbia.
6: If you're coping with a chronic condition or injury, your physician may recommend surgery to relieve pain, increase mobility, or improve your overall health. At Murray Regional Health, physicians on our medical staff perform surgical procedures in an array of specialty areas with the most advanced technology available. When you need surgery, count on our experienced surgical team to deliver exceptional care close to home. For more information, go to murrayregional.com surgery. Murray Regional Health, where clinical excellence meets compassionate care.
13: I've got my favorite grocer on the line, Mr. Miles Johnson. Miles, how's everybody doing at Foodland today?
6: Oh, we're all doing great. How
15: about yourself?
13: Man, I'm doing fantastic. It's always fun talking to you. What kind of specials are we talking about this week?
15: Well, this week we have two different ads going on. We have the normal Wednesday to Tuesday ad, which includes assorted pork chops, $1.79 a pound, New York strip steaks, four ninety nine a pound, 5 pound bag, russet potatoes, $1.99 each, Domino sugar, two for seven, and Coca-Cola six-packs, three for 12. We also have a three-day ad that started today and runs through Saturday the 11th, which has the 10-pound box-covered wagon bacon, $17.99 each, bacon potatoes, 49 cents a pound, and Niagara drinking water, 24-pack, three for 10.
13: Wow, some great deals right there. People need to come in and check them out. And as always, you're open seven days a week, 7 a.m. till 9 p.m. located right there on West 7th. Well, Miles, thank you as always. It's a pleasure talking to you. You folks uh, over there Foodland, have a great day and uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week.
2: Alrighty, thank you.
13: Thank you, Miles.
2: This is Clayton Harris and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia. Tony Basilio, show. The final
9: segment of the this edition on November 9th, a Thursday. Tomorrow is Friday. It's almost game day and Brian Hartman John Adams, Matt Dixon, John Adams, Knoxville News Sentinel filling in for Tony today. John, I wanted to talk about the spread in this game. It's been sort of held I've seen it Tennessee minus one and a half pretty much all week, no matter where I've looked, and the total's about fifty eight and a half. And guys, I think the total of fifty eight and a half seems like that could that's one I think the best bet is probably the over in that. Well,
10: I don't know though. You look at the Georgia Missouri game. What was the final score like? Thirty, 30 to, to twenty-one. 20.
9: Yeah, fifty-one points. But Georgia. Yeah. Is-
10: so, yeah, I would be leery. I, I look at this game and I don't see it as a, as a good bet. Uh, <laughs> if I were a betting person, I, I, I don't think I would stay away from this game because I could see it being higher than that or lower in terms of the over and under, uh, and it's basically a toss up in terms of winning and losing, I could see it going either way. Uh, We've talked about some of the things that could factor into it. But I think it's, uh, uh, and I didn't think I'd be saying this, but because of the uh, improved factor that Missouri's crowd has uh, has become this season, I think it's another one of those cases where it'd be good for Tennessee to get off to a really good start and maybe take the crowd out of the game a little bit. Uh, I didn't think that before when Tennessee played up there, uh, it, the crowd was very uh, disengaged. But uh, it's it's different now, and uh, even though, and I don't know, I'm curious what you guys think on it. But I don't know how much the loss to Georgia will affect Missouri. Uh, it was a tough loss, and it was a tough loss for Brady Cook, quarterback, who's played so well this year and been so consistent. He threw an awful interception in that game. He threw two in the fourth quarter, and one was kind of in desperation time, but the other one pretty much sealed Missouri's fate when he just threw the ball right into the, almost trying to throw it into the ground, and, and a Georgia linebacker, I'm sorry, a defensive lineman, Naz Stackhouse, caught the ball and rumbled down the field a ways. I couldn't believe it was one of those uh, inexplicable throws that quarterbacks sometimes make. He was under duress, and he just he shouldn't have done it. But I wonder if that might affect his confidence at all.
12: Yeah, that, that it will kind of be interesting because yeah, you know, he he also had that that kind of desperation pick six in the LSU game too. You know, that yeah. making that you know, score not look like the real game. I mean, LSU had to come back from, I think, 10 down to win and wound up, like, covering the spread because of that a late pick six. So I, that, that will be curious to see, John. It's a really good point I hadn't thought about.
10: You know, here's the last yeah, three thought, games. Because last year, I mean, he's Brady Cook overall has been a different quarterback and a much better one uh, this season and last. But now you bring up the LSU play, the two biggest games uh, Missouri's had and the two biggest And and both were defeats. Uh, Brady Cook had pivotal throws that went the wrong way in each game. Uh, So, I don't know. I, I wonder if that would factor into Missouri's play call in early. I want him to get off to a good start. And I might be overthinking this because he's had a good season. He'll come into this game with a fresh start. I'm sure Missouri will still have plenty of confidence. But... You yeah, know, Missouri was playing for everything last week, and it didn't win the game. It was an in, in, unexpected situation based on preseason. Nobody thought Missouri would be uh, butting helmets with Georgia with the possibility to play for the SEC championship, but there it was. So I don't know how much that would affect the team. I would think it would be still playing at a high level and have a good attitude against Tennessee, but something that popped into my head for what it's worth.
9: I wanted to say tomorrow there won't be a Calhoun's remote tomorrow. So we'll have a show, but it won't be live at Calhoun's. I wanted to say that right now. Calhoun's hopefully will catch them the following week before the Georgia game. And here's some stats. I want to go to the phones here. But the last three games, these quarterbacks, Missouri's Brady Cook and Tennessee's Joe Melton, Brady Cook is 48 of 84 for 57%. And Joe Milton is 57 of 76 for 75 percent. Brady Cook is only has thrown for 592 yards. Joe Milton 753 yards. The yards on a on completion 7.1 for Brady Cook, 12.3 for Milton. Cooks thrown three TDs. Milton five. Cooks thrown three picks. Milton no picks. Brady Cook has rushed. 29 times for 143 and two TDs, where Milton rushed 27 times, 92 times, 92 yards, one TD. So the stats the last three games is trending in Tennessee's direction for the quarterback play.
10: Yeah, of course. When you figure those st- uh, stats, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, about to lose my voice. You get it, better take it. Okay. So yeah, Matt.
9: Um, God, John, you okay? No.
12: No, t- Tennessee's de- Tennessee's definitely playing playing much better offensively with with Joe really since that. I mean that A and M game was pr- obviously probably the low point, and then the second half of Bama wasn't wasn't good at all. But the the first half was really from that point on. He's he's really been a different quarterback, and and the receivers have been better. They've made catches, uh, moving Thornton outside. I think it has been a big help because I, I just don't think those other guys. Um, Nimrod and Webb are, are, are ready physically to handle SEC corners, whereas Thornton, you know, he looks like an NFL guy. Um, so, I, I, but I do think, you know, Tennessee's got a lot. At least Tennessee's got a lot of positive mo- momentum offensively right now.
10: So yes. when you you read those quarterback stacks, Brian, maybe my uh, thinking is correct on Brady, Brady Cook. Maybe he is. be careful,
9: John. <clears> there, <throat> hold on. Yeah, I I think, you know, I, I think one thing that Milton has a lot of experience, I think Cook's probably played more because I wanted to let that gentleman know that that was in vain. He's been dumped again. So he can keep trying, but. Why couldn't he
12: lose his voice?
10: Well. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm trying to recover here. I feel like I can do it now, but these allergies are killing me, and that's not what Tony has. Tony's sicker than allergies, but uh, these allergies have been kicking me for about on and off for two months now.
9: Yeah, they're rough. They're really rough on you, uh, especially in the fall. Um.
10: So, we Brian, we talked about we talked a little bit about Cody Schrader. And yes. affected. he's yeah. had a great year. Yes, and he has very little help. Nathan Pete, uh, Nathan Pete spells him at times, but Cody Schrader's just been the ultimate workhouse. And you don't see many teams in today's game where they rely so much on one running back. Tennessee is the opposite of that, with three guys uh, contributing and and not really losing anything when one comes in and the other goes out to me that might be a real key too Uh, the advantage tennessee could have in the in the fourth quarter with its running back depth with jabari small jalen wright and dylan sampson whereas missouri is pretty much uh it's pretty much the cody schrader show
9: well especially late in the game with sampson the way he's run recently and especially with Jabari Small back in the mix because you won't have to have Wright and Sampson go the whole way. You can have what you did at Kentucky, and hopefully Sampson can can close the game the way he closed that one.
10: Uh, Yeah, one other thing I was thinking about this week. It's looking ahead to Georgia. Uh, I was reading about Brock Bowers, Georgia's star tight end, who's running this week, and I saw where he was clocked at running 19 miles an hour uh, which is not bad particularly for a tight end uh, normally that's a really tough injury to come back from we saw it, uh, the ankle injury, we saw it with uh, Cedric Tillman last year for Tennessee, we saw it with uh, Tua Tagovailoa, Alabama's quarterback they came back but they weren't as sharp as they'd been previously, it still affected them. And that could be a really key. A real key. I don't think he'll play this week against Ole Miss, uh, but he could play maybe against Tennessee. And even if he's not at 100%, having Brock Bowers out there would certainly affect Tennessee's defense because you got to pay a lot of attention to him. And other, when he's there, it opens things up for the running game as well as the wide receivers
9: absolutely and there is talk that he could be doing some light jogging could be doing some practicing and I think he is going to get back in there at some point this year but it's curious if Georgia were to lose a couple games if that would or if they were to lose a game would that change those plans
10: well yeah I don't think he'd play but if the Georgia is not going to have a shot at winning a championship but I don't see Georgia losing a couple of games.
9: <laughs> you know, Jalen Waddle got hurt at Nealon that COVID year, and he came back. He, I forget what his injury was. I think it was an ankle, or but he. Actually, I thought that
10: was a knee, i thought that was a knee injury, Brian.
9: Yeah, or something. But he actually came back and and was able to play a little bit in the national championship game, which would have been, I guess, two or three months after he sustained that injury or something like that. So. Yeah, but I I, I really think that when he
10: came back, he was more of a decoy. He wasn't really – I don't remember him doing anything of significance. Of course, that Alabama team had all the – had about four NFL wide receivers on the team. So his loss, it would have been devastating to most teams. It wasn't really that big a factor for
8: uh, Alabama.
9: Yeah, they they certainly didn't need him, and I, I think he was just kind of out there. He wanted to get out there and compete in the national championship. But in most cases, yeah, that would have been that would have been it. One thing I wanted to ask and bring this to to your attention, did you have any idea that Florida State and Miami were playing this weekend? Because I really did not. <laughs> that that's a good point because you never uh, hear about it now. No,
10: and and that used to be such a big deal. And Florida State's uh, held up its end of the bargain. Uh, that was one of the great rivalries in late 80s to uh, early 90s when Bobby Bowden had Florida State and plan for a championship every year. And and it didn't matter who who the coach was at Miami, it was in the running for a national title. And if not for Miami, Florida State probably would have a couple. Bowden won two. He probably would have had a couple more if not for Miami. He had
9: a kicker. That made
10: this yeah, right help uh wide right uh I you know Florida state you bring up Florida state um I think that I think Seminoles have a really good shot in national championship I think it's really a complete team it doesn't have it doesn't get as much notoriety I don't think with its schedule because it's not in the SEC it's not in the big 10 but when you look at that team play and and going back, I know it was a season opener. It's been a while. But how dominant it was against LSU in the second half. And uh, so I really would like it. I think I like its chances quite a bit going into the playoffs. I, of all the teams, if I had to pick one who I think would the least likely to, to lose of the unbeaten teams, I would probably pick Florida State. I just don't think anybody could uh, is going to beat it in the ACC. You know,
9: they must like the Michigan attention because they've kind of been able to stay sort of quiet, you know, that quietly do their thing without a whole lot of pressure and a whole lot of spotlight. I think that actually help, it helps them. It's a,
12: it's a really good point. Yeah, nobody, nobody thinks of – I mean, we haven't even thought, talked about that game or most people haven't thought about it, and, and Florida State's still undefeated and in the top five, so –
9: yeah, and Florida's
12: no, a really, really good team. I, I, it'll be a major upset if they don't at least you know stay undefeated and get into the playoffs.
9: Yeah, and they got that Florida team who's going to be reeling at the end of their schedule, and I, I don't see – they're probably hands down, well, they are the best team in the ACC. That's for sure. They, they've kind of taken back – Tennessee and Florida State sort of gave birth to Clemson back in 98, and now that Clemson – has sort of I think they've come back, and those two programs have taken back what Clemson had from them. Well, uh, I just think
10: Florida State has always recruited well, I mean, it's sometimes not quite as good as others, but it has a really strong NIL program, uh, and so I think it will continue to recruit well. And that adds to uh, Florida coach Billy Napier's problems, He's had a rough start at Florida. I think he's headed for back-to-back losing seasons. And that is shocking to Florida fans, I know. But uh, he's made it more difficult for Florida. I mean, right now, if you're looking to go to the best program, I know Florida's recruiting well, but Florida State is clearly the better program. And it has the better coach because we've only seen a couple of seasons of Billy Napier. I think that's a big problem for Florida is that Florida State is so good right now.
9: And the coaching-wise, we didn't really know Norvell was going to be able to cook all the ingredients correctly at first. And now I think he certainly this year is taking a step toward being there a while.
10: Yeah, I agree. And, and that is a good point about it, it's hard to be under the radar when you're undefeated as a Power 5 program. But I think part of that has to do with with the fact that there's no uh, no big game, so to speak, even the ACC title game, Florida State will be the solid favorite in that game. I don't know, I don't know who it's doesn't matter whom it's playing. And you look around at the at the rest of the country. I mean, with you look at uh, you look at the Big Twelve, you look at the SEC. With uh, I mean, Georgia. Uh, as good as Georgia's been, uh, if it paces Alabama and the po- this.
14: This is Big Lou Maddox, and you're listening to the best radio in Southern Middle Tennessee, WKOM 101.7 FM, Columbia.
2: American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't.
3: American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090.
4: Hi, this is Steve, the garbage man. Y'all have heard me talk in the past about Packer, our mascot dog. Well, I have some sad news about Packer. She recently crossed over the Rainbow Bridge to join our other beloved pets of the past. Packer lived out her final days on our farm in Water Valley. She had a great 14 years of life after being rescued by Don from being thrown away as a pup in someone's garbage. Rest in peace, Packer.
18: Hey Columbia, this is Sabian Beard with the Columbia Noon Rotary Club with some information and an invitation for you. If you don't already know about Rotary, it's an organization over a hundred years old that focuses on service in the community, service through vocation, and service to the next generation. Many of our community figureheads participate in the local Rotary Clubs and we need your help. Our main fundraiser for our service projects is the legendary Pancake Day, held on Saturday, November 11th from six to four. Tickets are $10 for one or 25 for three and may be purchased at the door or from any Noon Rotary member. Help us continue to serve your community and enjoy a splendid breakfast with your neighbors. See you there.
10: This is Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools and the Big Yellow School Bus. You're listening to Front Porch Radio on 101.7 W K O M in Columbia, Tennessee.